Welcome to Corestruction, the podcast of the Tulsa District U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. On May 2 through 3, the Fire Protection Mechanical Electrical and Control System Community of Practice is going to be in Tulsa, Oklahoma, working on their annual requirements for continuing education. I currently have with me Don M. Carney, who is the Chief of Fire Protection uh, Mechanical Electrical and Control System section at headquarters USACE, and Tim Paulus. Tim is the Mechanical Engineering Community of Practice lead. Uh, thank you for joining us for core instruction. Yep. Thank, thank you, Brian. Thank how, you. How are you guys enjoying Tulsa so far? The weather's been great. Um, enjoying getting to know the city. We came out here a month early before the meeting so that we can kind of check the space out and try to make sure we can have some good recommendations for the participants when they come in town next month on places to go eat and, and um, you know, maybe find a place where we can all get together and socialize. So it's been a really nice visit. For the most part, um, do you think Tulsa will be relatively central for most district attendees? Yeah. yeah. You know, that's one of the reasons why we did this here in Tulsa, because we were trying to do something in the center of the country. Um, it, you know, the people on the West Coast and East Coast, it, it, it limits their travel, so they don't have to travel all the way across the country. Um, so that's one of the reasons why we did it, you know, for a year. What, have you had a chance to to experience any of the the rest of Tulsa, or have you just been pretty much con- <laughs> yeah, not much just yet. We we most of us just got in last night and we went and and ate dinner last night, and then we drove around a little bit today during lunch to to check out the area. Went down to the Riverside uh, Jinx area and um, just you know kind of rode around, but we haven't really done much. We're going to go out tonight and and look around some more. Outstanding. Uh, I'm, there's there's a lot to see. Hopefully you can catch out, like, say, the, the Philbrook Museum or something. Okay. You have some downtime at some point. Um, there's some beautiful artwork there. Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan. <laughs> Woody Guthrie. Yeah. That, there, there's, this place has a great, like, a great uh, folk music, you know. So, well, we'll start off simple. What is a community of practice for people who, who don't understand that? Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll take that one. Is that it? Go ahead. I'll, I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll fill in the gaps. Yes, please do. Help me out. All right. So um, uh, the community of practice is a, um, when we uh, try to bring people together that have a common uh, interest. So we, we focus on the disciplines. We focus on um, the electrical engineering discipline, mechanical engineering disciplines, uh, control system engineers, and fire protection engineers that are out there across the core. And we have leaders for each of those disciplines that provides everybody in those disciplines um, resources and tools that they need to do their job. We also try to bring them together, uh, like in this meeting here, to uh, network with each other and to um, share ideas and share lessons learned and best practices with each other. And we also tap into the subject matter experts out there in the field and and bring them in to also help um, when problems arise to our level uh, at, at headquarters, you know, and, and they need help in, in their disciplines if there's something specific. And, um, you know, we, we've got those community to reach out to and and tap into those resources. Um, Tim? Yeah. And this is something, like I said earlier, that we've been really pushing hard at headquarters over the last three, four years, um, really try to engage everybody um, in all our disciplines. Um, you know, like during COVID, for example, I mean, we've got a lot of new people that came on board during COVID. And you can imagine they're coming on board. I think having these communities of practice, like we 
done over the last, especially the last three years, has made a huge difference. I mean, I mean, otherwise they're like lost in the wilderness, <laughs> you know, so they come on board and I don't have a clue what the Corps of Engineers even does, you know, even to start with or, you know, so we really tried to do that over the last, especially, like I said, the last three years, especially, you know, try to engage the, you know, the newer engineers, but even the engineers that have been there a while, um, just to get everybody on the same page. We'll like, you know, like Don said, whether it's training, um, we, you know, um, software, software, um, you know, all, all sorts of things. So we, we really, we've got our SharePoint sites where, yeah. we, where, where we try to, sh um, share information if, if, if you will. Um, so we, we do have that. We have, um, SharePoint pages where we can put lessons learned and best practices and that sort of thing. And, um, so, and, and the, the, the core of, the core of engineers employees who are, I take it, who are involved in your cop are they're they're not they're not just in maybe civil works they're right. also in military construction so correct you're trying to meet federal sort of building type code standards as far yeah. as like fire, fire protection electrical wiring yep. and then mechanical engineering mechanical yep. systems that you have right yep. correct correct yes yeah, so how do you balance well i guess with federal it's 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 one broad anyway. It, it's one broad area anyway. You don't have to worry about like local code so much, or or do you? Um, yes. Yeah, so we actually are our community practice leaders also are over the criteria for their discipline that is used across the core. So we have unified facility criteria that we work with um, the tri services. So we work with the Air Force and the Navy, um, and we're the Army representatives, and we work to develop these this criteria that it's standard it standardizes the way we build things across the core um, and and we also work on the um, engineer regulations and engineering manuals that give guidance out there on the civil work side um, and then where there's gaps in the civil works um, guidance then then they fall back to the unified facilities codes so our community practice leaders um, maintain that for the um, their communities their disciplines as well it's about how many people are you expecting to be here for the we're expecting about a hundred in person and then maybe you know 200 300 online our community encompasses about 2,000 people across the core oh, wow. so we just you don't know with it with us having a hybrid and having a virtual component then anybody can join you know a session or two that they want to that they're fine interested find interest in um you know they don't so they don't have to take off like a whole three or four days of work to come out here in person. So we have that option too. Yeah. So our, you know, like our mechanical, we have about 950 mechanical engineers across the course. So we build these distribution lists where we try to reach out to them. And the same with the electrical engineers, we've got about what, 830, mm -hmm. 840 electrical engineers in the core. And again, we build a distribution list so we can reach all of them. And I think fire protection, there's what, about 75 yeah. or so. Yeah. And then controls is a rather new one that we've been building over the last, um, Three or four three, years. Three or four years. And mm -hmm. so that's, you know, work in progress, if if you will. So like Don said, we're looking at about 2,000 total, um, which is actually on the small side when you, when you look at the other disciplines, you know, like civil engineers, you know, they're in the core, there's more, there's a lot more civil engineers and structural engineers. But um, still, when you add us all up, we're about 2,000. What what are control systems? How does, what is, what is that? How is that discipline separate? So the control systems actually covers, uh, we, we those people kind of specialize. Either you either have a mechanical engineer or an electrical engineer that kind of specializes in controls for like HVAC systems or 
lighting controls or um, lock you've controls. got yeah lock controls. You've got you know electronic security control systems, things like that. Um, and so that typically is built off of a mechanical or electrical engineer, and they decide to um, specialize in controls. And so that's been a little harder to figure out who belongs to that community of practice because they aren't delineated by an occupational series like the electrical mechanicals are. Same for the fire protection engineers, actually. They do have an occupational series, but they typically start out as a electrical engineer or a mechanical engineer. Right. And so we have to reach out as the community practice leaders and, and find those people that have specialized in those areas and try to bring them into our um, community. And I guess, I guess with those control systems, are, are they looking at how is the end user going to use this system? Is that sort of their approach to it? Is there a... They're the designers that design the control systems um, and cybersecurity of those control systems for our buildings, for both military and civil works. Yeah. So but, they're the ones that usually are typically out there, you know, designing them. But I systems. think they do have to have a good understanding of the end user. And, you know, like, like you know, on the civil work side, for instance, they have to understand, you know, like the end user, you know, their capability... Are they able to use this thing? Are they able to maintain it? You know, so there has to be some understanding on that level. Correct. Yeah. And um, how does this play into the continuing education requirements, for example, to maintain, like, say, a, a certification? Mm -hmm. How does that? Like professional licensure? Right. Um, yeah. So we encourage our engineers out there to get their professional engineering license. And in, as part of that encouragement, we have um, provide we have um, put together a program where we have contracts with um, uh, companies that can provide testing or prep prep, prep, prep materials prep for materials. testing. Right. Thank yep. you. <laughs> and um, and so we um, provide that for free basically to the engineers out there. And um, we encourage them to get their licenses. And then we also work with the uh, Construction Engineering and Infrastructure Career Field Office uh, through ACMA to provide funding and training to help maintain those licenses as well. So we, as the disciplines, we try to go out and we look up um, training for our communities of practice that they need, such as through NFPA or ASHRAE or, you know, the, the just to help. Uh, get that training, and then we get it funded through, um, like, the Construction Engineering Career Field Office and provide that training to our um, communities of practice, and that helps them to maintain their licenses as well as it helps to fill competency gaps that we have out there in the court. Yep. And this whole, you know, like, this professional training that we've been, you know, offering, that's something we've really been pushing hard again over the last three, four years, um, you know, like, We've been, we actually have a contest with the electricals and mechanicals. And so you can get the more, you know, the, the more engineers registered, you know, for their, for their license. You know, one of the problems, though, that we have is we've got a lot of people leaving the Corps. And a lot of those, you know, like, you know, a lot of those people have licenses, you know, professional engineer licenses. with them. They take it with them. And, but the new people coming in don't. So we just need to, at very least, stay where we are. Um, you know, so that's been a bit of a challenge, but. We're getting there. So Electrical's caught up to mechanical, by the way. Yes, yes. <laughs> so you, 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 you had this knowledge departure that you, you have to maintain. Yes. What, what is it? How is that? Why do you think that's so challenging? Like that, like, why do you think 
or is it just that we're in a generational change perhaps or um maybe what force or you know in the in the federal government you know we don't push real hard for license licensure i guess if you will you know like at some of the private firms like architect engineer firms i mean there it's almost a mandate that you pretty much have you know it's not so much you know in the federal government that we have these mandates that you have you know so it's so we have to encourage people you know just let them know that you know down the road you're probably really going to need this to advance you know for a lot of these higher level positions so it's it's really encouraging our younger engineers to take advantage of these opportunities and try to get licensed so yeah it, it's it's tough to maintain that turnover it takes a, a new engineer a good five years before they're really able to get up and running and, and you know hit the ground and, and do their own designs right. so we we have the Department of the Army intern program that takes them through two years of training and then after that they're just kind of like on their own and they may get one or two um, training sessions a year after that, where it's, we really kind of probably need to keep up, um, you know, do more training sessions for them. Like I know our training budgets are kind of spread thin at the districts, and they might can only take like one 40-hour training class a year. And that's why as community practice leaders, we try to pick up some other types of little training that won't take them a lot of time out of their work uh, workload to to do this training as well as fund it for them so that they can do it for free. So we're that's where we're trying to help fill in these gaps and train people a little faster than than they are trained as the, under the normal um, process. Yeah, and in this meeting that we're going to do in Tulsa, it's it's a great opportunity to share information. Um, you know, so I mean, a lot of what we try to do here is you know engineers across the core are working on various projects, and so it's 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 a great way to actually share knowledge. Um, share information, share knowledge, you know, best practices and that sort of thing. So that's something we really try to push at something like this that we're going to do in May. So, so. Can you, can you talk about, uh, like how often do you, are you, do you do these, these, these cop? This, um, the in-person and virtual, so hybrid, uh, community practice meetings for the combined community practices of the FMEX, we call it, um, we do this every two years. So, but the individual um, discipline community practices, they hold webinars once a month with their with their communities and, you know, offer um, training or, or just um, time webinars that they can get together and, um, you know, periodically throughout the year. Yeah. You, you, you said that uh, it takes about five years for an engineer to really get sort of Train, trained, trained up. up really well so that they could do design. What is the... Where is the challenge in that? Is it is it the knowing understanding the codes associated with everything, or the the, the federal re regulations associated with maybe designing something like a fire control system or mechanical system? Where does the where does that come? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think it's just the experience because we do so many different types of designs. You know, we got the military projects and you have civil works projects and. Um, it probably it takes a good couple of years before you've been exposed to a, quite a bit of different kinds of buildings, facilities, and and systems that you're designing before you before the designer can actually um, get that experience and and get um, um, I don't know what the word is is just get good at doing those <laughs> you know system types of system designs and stuff. So I think it's just kind of getting the experience in um, because we do a lot of you know they they can. Do a lot of the training up front is about the codes and 
and the criteria. You know, that's what the prospect courses they teach us. The um, they teach the the students the um, unified facilities criteria and the way that we do things with the core um, the core process and core ways. So it's just a matter of an experience. Are there a certain number of hours that they have to do annually, or or if a few years? To- by based on core requirements or no. not based on core requirements, but to maintain their professional engineering license, you have to get like thirty hours of um, continuing education credits um, per two years. That's no, that's what it is for the um, engineers. Um, yeah, for the electrical anyway. And then, a, then a lot of engineers have other licenses if, or registration, if you will, like you know, like um, like lead, for instance. You know mm-hmm. the with the buildings, you know, there's a whole other licensure requirement for that. And then there's engineers that, you know, try to maintain that. So, you know, and then the fire protection obviously has their own requirements. So um, there's other things beside the professional licensure, like the lead, you know, for example. What is that leadership and engineering efficient or design or something or energy design? Right. Leadership and engineering energy design. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are are there are there some new uh, new things coming out that you're going to have to address? Emerging technology, yeah, that you're <laughs> going to have to address. Uh, maybe breath of like fire protection for fire. For well, fire microgrids is one of them. Right. Yeah. With the new uh, executive orders for energy uh, and sustainability that's coming out, there is some emerging technology that we have identified. Um, that we do need to make sure that we need to train up our designers out there to be able to understand a design. Microgrids is one of them. Um, what what is that? Okay, about? a microgrid is like a, a miniature um, substation for power that can provide. They can you can it can connect to the power system, and um, it could also pro- it could also work on its own as a own utility to provide power to a building. So it can it can be what they call islanded. So where if there's a, a a cybersecurity attack or something like that on the main power system, they can island themselves and separate and still function. The the facilities that pro- provides power for can still function and work and um, for emergency situations and and things like that. But it also tries to encompass renewable energy systems such as wind and solar. So that it could help, it could just operate on its own and generate power and store some of that ener- energy to be used when they can't connect to the grid. Anything else to add? What about in the canonical world? Is there um, a a lot of it is, um, you know, if, if you're looking on the military construction side, it's a lot related to sustainability. You know, um, like like Don just alluded to. You know, um, they, you know, with the current administration, you know, we're pushing us more toward electrification, getting away from carbon fuels, um, you know, so that has its own challenges. Um, if you're looking at the civil work side and mechanical, we've got a lot of old stuff, if, if you will, out there at our locks and dams. So it's, um, it's trying to figure out, you know, to be able to, you know, accurately predict, you know, when do we actually have to replace this stuff and how can we replace this stuff and, you know, how can we afford it? You know, so there's challenges like that. Um, we do have, you know, our labs, and we got Erdic, you know, down in Vicksburg and Cyril that do a lot of work for us. And we, all our, you know, especially on the civil work side, you know, and, and the military side, we we try to work with them directly on a lot of these emerging te- technologies. So, 
Do they typically provide a representative to teach or to provide classes? Nope, not so much that, but every year they got what they called statements of need. So they're they're looking forward, you know, to what we need, you know, like you said, all these emerging technologies and a lot of different areas um, that we try to stay involved in. So as our community of practice leads, we try to work um, with Burdick and Cyril um, to make sure we stay on top of that. You know, um, like for example, on the mechanical and the civil work side, one of the things is um, like these barges come through a lock, for example, what can we do, you know, to get some of these deckhands so they're not, you know, hands-free technology. So like Erdick right now, they're, they've got like three pilot studies going on, if you, if you will. Um, so it's, it's staying involved in things like that. Um, the other thing is remote operations, for instance, um, at our, at our locks, you know, to stay up to speed on what, you know, all the emerging technologies on that. So. Yeah, the, the locks and dams, yes. some of them had that capability. Um, not right now, but it's, it's something that's being looked at. What, uh, well, I would imagine with locks and dams specifically, probably a good deal, at least I know, at least at our district, a good deal of those are probably at hydropower, uh, so you've kind of got one energy need met, right? At least yep. the run of the river facilities. I, I I don't know. Is that is it like that with the rest of the country? No, no. really, no, um, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that something that's being considered? That you know, I guess that's a whole different area of yeah. works projects. But what do you think is most important for the people who attend to get out of it? The event. So I'd say um, just uh, the most important is uh, making connections with the, the other people in their community's practice and crossing their disciplines, you know, the meeting with the other disciplines because we all have to work together to make a project work, right? And so um, I think just that's why we like to do the in-person piece, which um, we know since COVID hasn't had a lot of good attendance, so we expect it to and hope it'll gradually grow back to what it used to be before COVID where we have more people attending in person so that they can make those connections and um, it's just been really good for our community practice just to meet uh, and and meet with the other um, disciplines and then they also get a lot of good knowledge there that that applies to all the disciplines such as we give them information on you know the prospect courses that's available out there we're going to give them information from the um, HR side of things as far as what's available to them to um, help with their careers and to you know advance their careers and um, and then there's going to be some some technical specific tracks that they can get some technical um, knowledge from there too. Yep. What kind? What questions have I not asked you that I probably what What's most important that that people understand ahead of this event? Well, I think like Don just alluded to, you know, it's a chance to make connections and network. You know, that's the big thing, and then you know, share you know, share information. And then, you know, I, I, I think that's big. And then we're going to do the field trip on Thursday. Um, you know, we're going to, we're actually going to go to Tinker. Um, then they're going to, they're going to see some stuff there. And then we're going to go to, um, we were going to go to Weber's, we were, we were going to go to Keystone Dam. We're going to go to Weber's Falls instead. So the civil work side, we're going to, we're going to, they have a hydropower site, mm -hmm. you know, and then the lock and the dam. So we're going to see that. Um, uh, but yeah, it's just a chance to, um, you know, really ne network and connect, you know, we need to, you know, with all this remote work that's going on now, it's, it's really good to get people together every once in a while. So yeah. In the, in the same place. Do you feel like you're getting the support from the district in terms of, oh, yeah. the, 
district has been great. Oh, they've been fantastic. Um, everybody here has just pitched in. Robert Fleece and Eric Slater and and their their guys are all been very helpful. Um, and they're finding out it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of coordination. We should have um, told them that at first. <laughs> it's, um, it's like planning a wedding, really. <laughs> and they're like, the more we get into it, like, yeah, you're right. This is like planning a wedding. We got to make sure we have, you know. It's too um, late. It's too late now. Uh, We're not going back rooms. now. Yeah, we got to have signage. We got to have the, the all the rooms um, reserved. We've got to have make sure all the equi- the right equipment's in each room. That's why we're out here doing a recon visit, we call it. We're, we're checking out the equipment in each room and making sure that our um, WebEx accounts work and we're testing it with people virtually. And know where, make we're, sure going. That know where we're going. And, yep. Yeah, the, the rooms are going to be kind of spread out throughout the district, so we've got to make sure we have good signage out and give people good directions. Yep. You guys have some security requirements here that we make sure you know, we're going to have to provide information to the um, attendees to make sure that they follow those rules and that we have them at access cards and you know it, it's a it's a pretty involved process and everybody here at Tulsa district has been really good and um, you guys have a great space the auditorium downstairs is really nice to do our plenary sessions where we have everybody together and then you have some nice conference rooms spread out through the rest of the office area that we're going to use for um, when we break out into discipline specific tracks and um, I, you know the, the district set it really nicely for yep. um, for us to do this here we're excited. How, how does someone typically end up in one of these more specialized disciplines? Like, is it something that you go to work for the Corps as an engineer and your boss says, okay, I'm going to have you work on this and you're going to go work this, this, or is it something you typically specifically get hired to do? How does that typically work? Especially, I guess, with the fire protection and the right control system. I know we're getting with that. Yeah. So I would say, you know, if you start out with, as a young engineer with the core and then you, you get involved in projects and it's like somebody's got to do this control system piece. Somebody's got to do this, the fire alarm piece or the fire suppression system piece. And, and, you know, you tend to kind of step up and then you figure out, hey, I kind of really like this. This is my favorite part of my job. And, you know, maybe I'll specialize in this. And then there are some extra um, certifications you have to get to, to be a fire protection engineer. You can't just get a a regular professional engineering license, you have to have a fire protection engineering license. Um, so then they would have to go for that. Um, you know, so it is something somebody has to specialize in. But then you have some people that we might hire that are, you know, um, experienced engineers out in in the in industry that have already decided to specialize in those areas, and we bring them in to, um, you know, design those systems as well. So when we put the the um, ads out there for specific jobs, we are identifying those, like we're actively hiring for those positions typically for, for the fire. That's yeah. It's going to be specific in the, in the, in the pro- job analysis. Yeah, yeah, the position description. Mm-hmm. I guess that was just one of those HR questions or recruiting questions that I always wonder about, like, is this something that sort of, you know, you, you start off in one area and you end up in, or do we typically... Are we are we actively recruiting on these positions? Well, is there one area that it's harder to keep people? Is one discipline that's harder to keep people? It seems like electricals, we, yeah. electrical engineers. We seem, I don't know, just from what I've seen, like that that seems to be the toughest, just because there's so much competition out there in private industry for electrical mm-hmm. engineers. I mean, there is for everything, but. And I think there's fewer of the electricals out there too. I think yeah. fewer people getting degrees in electrical, so the market's really thin. 
it's a hard to, to get people, you know, to come work for the core. So we're definitely always looking for electricals. There are um, a lot of the STEM fields are, are hard to fill positions in the core. We, we have that same problem with all our disciplines pretty much. You know, it's yeah. um, always needing new people in, in um, the fire protection, mechanical, electrical, and control system occupancies. Well, well, why did you two come to work? Well, I'll start with you, uh, uh, Tim. Why, why did you decide to come to work for the core as a mechanical <laughs> engineer? Well, that was like 37 or 30. I don't know how many years ago it was. I guess it's um, the... Um, you know, I went to school, you know, for mechanical engineering, and then I actually built houses for a while, if, if, if you will. But no, I, I had the opportunity to interview at the St. Paul district, and it it seemed like, a, you know, pretty cool stuff, you know, working on locks and dams and, you know, it's, and then um, you get a chance to do a lot of different things. And so um, that's how, you know, the short answer is that's how I ended up. And then once you come on board, there's always options to do all sorts of things, you know, um, you know, the core is a big agency, a big organization. And so, I mean, um, you just keep looking for other opportunities and, you know, so one thing leads to another. So there's a, a big diversity of job opportunities. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Within. Oh, yeah. So, you know, oh, yeah. even as a mechanical engineer here, you may. Oh, yeah. What about, what about, what about you, Don? What was your? Uh, so my father was an electrical engineer with the Corps of Engineers. And uh, we lived over in Germany for five years of my childhood. And I just thought, and my dad has a great job. We get to live in this great place. He he was always off traveling and, you know, getting to see new places and just do a bunch of different things, you know, like a different type of projects and stuff. And and so I thought the Corps is a great place to work. I want to, when I grow up, I want to work at the Corps of Engineers. And um, I was thinking about being an architect and my dad said, well, you're really good at math and um, we need more electricals, you know, so he, he kind of pushed me in the direction of electrical. He's like, if I can do it, you can do it. <laughs> so I did, and um, I went to work for the Corps um, at a young age, but then I got caught up in a, a reduction in force in 97 and left the Corps for 10 years and um, worked for uh, private industry for a while, and um, an opportunity came back up to come go back to the Corps and I just thought, you know, it's just good stability, good jobs. Like I said, the travel part was great. And, um, you know, and that we just have a really good mission. That we're, we're out there. We're helping people. And we help, the, you know, the United States. And we, we help people all over the world, actually. And, and so I just I decided to go back to work for the Corps and, and then been here ever since, you know, since 2007. So um, it's been a really good job. Did you start with? Mobile District. Mobile. Mm-hmm. And when, how long were you with Mobile? Um, so combined total, because I worked with them with, as a co-op student. And oh, wow. Yeah, so I, I probably had like 20 years with them combined. And then I went to work for the Galveston District for about a year before I went to work for headquarters um, about three years ago now. So, yeah, it's been, it's been great. And I've really um, thought it was, it was really good to get experience at different districts and different offices for the Corps because... We do different things and um, just, you know, making connections. And I found everywhere I've worked for the Corps, everybody's just been so um, dedicated to doing a good job. And, you know, it's 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 great to just kind of make these connections at the headquarters level. I can see across the Corps now and see all these people out there that have the same passion to to just uh, help people and, and just to do a good job for our country. It's just been really inspiring. Tim, have you been with the, were you with the St. Paul District? All, yeah. I've, most of your career? Most of the career. So I came on board at headquarters about three and a half years ago. Um, I did a, some details. I did like 
a, a, I did a detail in Chicago district for a while, helping them with their, um, their deep water, you know, their storm sewer project and things like that. So, but yeah, for the most part and came to headquarters, you know, three and a half years ago and I've been here headquarters ever since, but then St. Paul district before that. Do, do y'all find it interesting that even various districts have like, just, they tend to have more focuses in some areas like Galveston oh, yeah. has oh, yeah. huge civil works yeah, bill and dredge intracoastal waterway i take it is yeah there are districts that have both military construction and civil works but there's a lot that just focus on civil works a lot just focus yeah. on military there and there's some that are both but yeah um you go across the core there's you know there's a wide variety of what these districts do saint saint paul district civil works they have a lot of civil work bands. civil works yeah is that, yeah. is that controlling a lot of the, was it the Mississippi. Mississippi River? Yep. And then here in Tulsa, we, Arkansas. Um, it's, it's a lot of recreation. It's a lot of water supply. It's a lot of, yep. Yep. <laughs> it's a lot of civil works and it's a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, military construction, especially with the, yep. the tinker stuff. Well, I, I really appreciate you all taking yeah, the time thank you. Just to, I know probably been traveling and you're probably ready to go get a rest, but I really appreciate you taking the time to yep. sit down with me so that we can highlight what's coming up. And yep. no, I, I really hope you enjoy your time here and that you get to yep. really experience some more of Tulsa and the area. Yeah. Thank well, you, thank Brandon. You. Thank yeah. You. We're, we're looking forward to coming back in May and, um, you know, hope to have a lot of you guys out there to join us and um, enjoy Tulsa with us. Yeah. Certainly. We'll see you around. Yeah. We'll stop down on Tuesday morning and we'll yeah, one of us will probably be with you on oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. to web. Yes. So that's an interesting dam, you know. It's yeah. It's that uh uh with a tilt or slope. is it tilt 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 uh, tilt axis dam. So okay. you know, you've got a as opposed to the the vertical Okay. Okay. Interesting, interesting dam. Yeah. Okay. Thank you again for your time. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Core Struction. Core Struction is a production of the Tulsa District US Army Corps of Engineers Public Affairs Office. This episode of Construction was brought to you by Fire Protection Mechanical Electrical and Control System Section of the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.